Welcome to Rage Against the Mainstream, your full-spectrum source for all things music, insight, and opinion. My name is Bill, and I'm joined here today with Connor and Steve. Yo. Hello. So today's date is January 27th, 2020. Have you guys encountered anything new or interesting this week? I think we all have. Yeah, you too, Connor? I know what you're referring to, but I chose not to listen to it. <laughs> um. What was it? Uh, Songs to be murdered to. Yeah, the new Eminem album. We came out uh, a week or so ago. Yep. Um, yeah, I I listened to it. I know Bill, you've listened to some of it. Connor, you're uh, still in that. I've Not heard of it. To. Yeah, I'm over Eminem. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's a shame because he's like one of those artists. I have such high respect. It's funny when the album came out. I was driving around with my sister. I was listening to like the Eminem show and I listened to a couple songs off of Get Richard Die Try and the documentary with the game. You know, all those like older songs that like featured him or were his and like I just remembered how good it was listening to that in the early two thousands, being a white suburban kid, like having Eminem talk about my life. It was pretty fucking cool. <laughs> um but dude, I I'm not gonna go out there and say this album's like great or anything, but I enjoyed it. The sad thing is it just has Eminem's name on it, so I had a different expectation. Yeah. Um, he features some good artists on there. Like, I mean, obviously, Royce to Five Nines on there, Young M.A.'s on there. There's a song with Juice World on there. Yeah. Rest in peace, Juice World. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. Still don't know who he uh, is. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> He's on an Eminem song now, so that's how I get cracked. I wonder if there's, like, people out there like, wow, like, Juice World like, featured Eminem on a song. Like, you know, like, I wonder if that's, like, a thing. I um, wonder if it's one of those things where they had that song like pre-recorded and like yeah. just like on the back burner until he died. And yeah, like, like, oh, like, shit, you know, I guess we should put perfect. this out there. Yeah, you know. <laughs> where do you guys rank this? Like, it's it's just worse than this Eminem album and just better than this Eminem album. Um, or is it the bottom or the top? I mean, it's closer to the bottom. Yeah, yeah. I think it's better than Revival. I think they're like the way we talked about this before. I think there's like two errors of Eminem. It's like after that? Encore and everything. What about Kamikaze? That's what I'm saying. I think it's in that same category where it's like Kamikaze, Relapse, Revival, um, even the... Recovery. Uh, yeah, Recovery. recovery revival, yeah, Recovery. I think Kamikaze's better, um, in my opinion. But then again, I've had more time to like actually listen to it. Mm -hmm. And I like the singles off of Kamikaze. I thought they were pretty good, too. Yeah. I did like the one single off of Kamikaze better than anything I've encountered off the new album. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's that one song he does with Ed Sheeran on this uh, new album, and it's it's like that generic song, like, all right, I'm gonna rap, and then I'm gonna have Ed Sheeran sing this really like nice, yeah. you know, uh, you know, higher vocal, like catchy hook, and it's just the same kind of repetitiveness. But again, like, I think there's like a whole different thing with Eminem now. It's like that era after encore and before it, and like to put this, like, I, I it's just another Eminem album of his newer shit. What my whole beef is with this album is I almost feel like there's no like features on it that are like like Good. in quotes worthy of being on Royce an Eminem album. Nine. Yeah. yeah. But like that's like the exception. But I'm yeah. saying like even Royce the Five Nine, you only hear his name come relevant when Eminem does something. Yeah. yeah. I mean that's the sad reality of it. I mean back in the day you figure when like Eminem was doing shit with like well, D twelve kind of ruined him in the beginning. Yeah. 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 Yep. Well in the middle. Yeah. Well I what yeah. my problem is I just don't think there's like enough talent or you know whatever in the rap game now to be even able to be like oh i'm on an I, eminem album like what's that even mean uh produced by dr dre was it actually produced by dr dre or yeah. was it executive produced by dr dre i think it was produced by dre give me a second here i'll look it up on spotify 
because <laughs> my opinion with Eminem has pretty much fallen down to if Dr. Dre produces it, it's usually not bad. And if he doesn't, it's usually not that good. It's also, too, you figure like with him featuring some of the rappers he does on there, it's not like he can bring out certain guys like, you know, Lil Pump, Lil Uzi Vert, and like all these dudes because he's Lil already. Pump die? No. I don't think a little peep. That's a little Zan, a little peep, and a little Zan, all them dudes. Um, yeah, a little peep. <laughs> a little peep, a little pump. Comrade peep. Yeah, peep pump. Same difference. Um, but it's like he can't even go out there and get some of these artists that, like, right now have that commercial success in that, you know, in the rap world today. Because he already went out on limb and, like, talked all that shit about these mumble rappers. So to get anybody of, like, I don't like, and these guys aren't even good rappers that are out there today. So it's like he can't even go out there and just get them just to keep his name relevant. Curry, Curry, Denzel Curry. Yeah, he could do that. Well, here's something that's funny. Get, like Dave East cruising around the Wikipedia page for this album. Yep. Uh, Metacritic gave it a 61 out of 100. Did Sounds Drake about right. It? Well, here, this is what I was getting to. Uh, <laughs> okay. Here you go. <laughs> um, Here's the fine line. No one gave this thing an above three out of five stars. That sounds about right. Uh, except for the Daily Telegraph. Oh, that's yeah. The Daily Telegraph gave it five out of five, but I don't, I don't think that's right. Daily See, I, I hate when people do 100% or five out of five star reviews, because then you're telling me... The Eminem show should, must be like 200%. Yeah, like what, you, once you give something a five out of five, you've already set the bar for yourself. Like, what's a perfect album to, then to you? It's definitely not music to be murdered by. <laughs> Never mind. Here's the here's the producer. Yeah, right. Where's that fall in his spectrum <laughs> of stars? Dre did produce this album. Yeah. Along with The Alchemist, Mark Braston, Andre Bris Brisket, the executive producer. DA yeah. got the dope for Guarantee Millions, Fred, Skylar Gray, Eric Bluetooth Griggs, Dem Joints, Trevor Lawrence Jr., Daywan Parker, Mr. Porter, Ricky Rax, Louis Resto, Royce to 59 and Tim Subby. Along so with Eminem. He was the executive. Yeah. He was the overseer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, too. And we've talked about this before. You can tell when Dre's involved with something. Yeah. yeah. And... I think maybe like one or two songs you can hear some like bit of like Dreyness. Yeah. Dre's not gonna spend the time to sit behind the boards the whole time during an Eminem album. Hell no. When he's got other shit he could be doing to make him way more money than the exactly. Eminem album's gonna make him at this point. And it makes you wonder too, like if there's anything that he does that he's not credited for. You know? Yeah. I don't think so. It's- I think if he was on there doing shit, he'd be getting more credit yeah but do you think like maybe he like produces these newer rappers and like he doesn't put his name on there just no i mean because no because beyond him it's like for instance this packaging of this album if he was the full-on producer it would say new album produce like it would be like on the album like big and bold because that's what people want to hear m and dre that's literally the story that's the the myth and the legend of eminem yeah exactly Um, so yeah if any other artist was like oh teaming up what here's the thing on kamikaze it says dr dre was an executive producer but it doesn't say executive on music to be murdered to so i mean it's a wikipedia it might have been a production or a promotion thing yeah yeah because honestly you just don't hear any the dre like you know but it's also too you're hearing the difference in the style where it's like i mean it's 2020 now yeah they don't i mean there's a funk anymore yeah there's a different style of like way these artists are putting out music today and you got to kind of keep up with they should do g-funk yeah you know, well that's how eminem sounded the best yeah, i agree like eminem show we're just yep. like a small majority yeah. though i mean we can sit here and talk about like the old school sound and everything like that but it's like there's still like millions of people out there who like love listening to 
extension and you know those artists today and that style and yeah i just, feel like we're a dying breed yeah it's even the rap scene in general like it's just um it's just changed and it's sad too um you know some of these guys have like i've seen them like on interviews and they would show pictures of like um you know like nas's illmatic like album cover and they would ask these guys who are like famous rappers today and be like yo do you know who this is and they'd be like I don't know who the fuck that is. <laughs> and it's like, you know, and then there's a couple of guys I'll be like, yeah, like that's Nas. That's Illmatic. Like, of course. And then well, it's funny that some of these rappers, like you figure they don't have the same respect and understanding of roots to understand like where rap really came from to develop a sound today to kind of like reflect of what it used to sound like. You know what yeah, I mean? You figure like when Nirvana was making tunes and like all these bands were making tunes, Black Sabbath was making tunes. They all had like certain level of respect and understanding for the music that came before them to evolve that sound with the same homage as opposed to trying to reinvent it completely and starting a new sound that's just kind of not Developed. talented. It's just not talent. It's just, yeah. it's like you anybody can do this. Well, that's the thing, though. I mean, at some point, it gets so muddied down. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, Eminem drew his influences and someone influenced Eminem who was, you know, then that person got watered down to influence this guy and so on and so forth. And now you have it to where it's, uh, yeah. And then it's just like, okay. Let's feature you on an Eminem song. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Music is in crisis. <laughs> um, so, yeah, just the general consensus about that, like the the 6 out of 10s and the 5.5s out of 10s, like I can totally get with that. Yeah, I think it's give average. it a 6 out of 10. Maybe a 5.5. Okay. I think it's I'd average. Give it a 5.5. 5.5. Five five like I said, anything six. over a 5, like a 50%, it's worth a listen because you could develop probably your own opinion behind it. Like it's definitely worth the listen. But like to me, it's like if it's on, I'll listen to it, but I'm probably not going to play start to finish this album ever again yeah well like i mean intentionally let's just give it time because i mean because this literally yeah. just came out i mean like i like i said before i wasn't a giant fan of kamikaze when it first yeah. came out and it grew on me yeah i always i always keep that in the back of my head like i'll probably listen to it but again i'm never going to be like all right i'm gonna listen to this from, like when i listened to it the first time i was like i'm listening to it from start to finish yeah had to hear it so another time i might put a song on and if i happen to be busy and the album plays its way through it's probably the only other time i'll listen to this album completely on this day in music history. All right, 1962. Elvis Presley's Can't Help Falling in Love is certified gold status. I fuck with that song. Yeah. 500,000 copies sold in the US of A. Mm hmm. Okay. I mean, I, I really like this <laughs> Not song. Not much to say about it. Yeah, it's a good song. Yeah. I mean, the, those like class. This falls in that category of like the greatest hits. I'm not familiar yeah. with this one. I can't help falling in love. Okay. Well, boy, yeah. You, you once you hear it, you'll yeah. Yeah. Yeah, not bad. <laughs> 1971. David Bowie arrives in the United States for the first time, not to perform, but to do a series of interviews. He creates a stir by wearing a dress to many of the appearances. So funny story about David Bowie when he was... Uh, I'll remain silent from here. First uh, coming out <laughs> like that and kind of like shocking people with his looks. So there's this whole beat generation of writers. It was like um, uh, Jack Kerak. It was Allen Ginsberg was a very uh, you know famous... Uh, poet William Burroughs, who was in the movie Drugstore Cowboy, he was like very famous for a couple of his novels, like Naked Lunch and stuff like that. Did a single with Kurt Cobain? Nah. William S. Burroughs? Well, yeah, he did. What did he do though? The priest they called him. It was a spoken word. That was it. Recording. That was it. Hmm. He also uh, was featured on something else, I think, with uh, another band. But um, Alan Ginsberg was super gay. 
Um, and he came out when uh, David Bowie was like doing interviews and stuff because the way David Bowie was like presenting himself and they got like in a fight because Allen Ginsberg was pretty much like, you're not even really gay. Like, <laughs> like getting really like pissed off because the way he was like portraying himself like that. And obviously when he came to the United States, I mean, here's this British dude like kind of dressing drag and he's uh, like super popular like <laughs> overseas. I mean, it was like a fucking shock to the United States and like, you know, American culture. Didn't but, him uh, and Freddie Mercury like fuck around? That's that's rumored. That's not. I'm pretty um, sure it was in one of the books. Pressure. Yeah, that's. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there was other kinds of pressure going on too. By what I've heard, this is the uh, rumor. I was referring to the hit song. Oh, <laughs> an inspiration for rap phenomenon, Ice Ice Baby. <laughs> that led to the greatness right next to Ding Dong Ding Dong being that of a oh, hit yes. single. Um, 1973, Steve one Stevie Wonder's Superstition hits number one in America, where it stays for one week. Surprised that was only, only number week. one. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. Well, then again, you know, it's like it was more competitive back then. There was well, more good music coming out. That's true. But then again, you know, at the point in time, people probably didn't see superstition as we would see it now. Like, when, like I'm pretty sure you can remember when you first heard that song. You're like, whoa, yeah, Some commercial. Was it in a commercial? Probably. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like yeah. Pretty sure I heard it on like 98.1 or something, and I was like, man, this is really cool. And mom's or like, yeah, this B- is Stevie Wonder. <laughs> yeah. That opening drum beat's really fucking cool, too. It's like what drive. Like, this shit's just awesome. It's just got a groove. Yeah. Stevie Wonder's the man. Where's our biopic of Stevie Wonder? Yeah, really. I just always think of Ferris Bueller. Uh, if I d- is it Ferris said, if I die, to give my eyes to Stevie Wonder. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, in the whole way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 1979, Keith Morris, Greg Jinn, Chuck Dukowski, and Brian Migdal play live for the first time under the Black Flag moniker in Redondo Beach, California. Um, I'm a huge fan of Keith Morris' Black Flag. Yeah, I, I love Nervous Breakdown. To, uh, Henry Rollins. Henry Rollins. Yeah, um, I forget the other singer. They, they had an album with them. Yeah. Um, well, they have the Nervous Breakdown EP. There's a couple yeah. of songs on there. Yeah, full length. I think that did the original six pack EP have him on it, or was that Henry no? Rollins? That was Henry because okay. six pack was written with Henry Rollins, yeah, and that okay. was um, you know, pretty much about Keith Morris being a loser and an alcoholic and a fuck up. Um, but honestly, <laughs> I mean, Keith Morris going on, yeah, because then he goes on to do Circle Jerks, and you know that first album, Group Sex, that they did was fucking excellent. Yeah, I prefer their music in the eighties over Black. Flag. Yeah, like Black Flag, because well, Black Flag got super weird after Damage, because then it was like you know My War, and then when it got to like that spoken word, he got to Jealous a lot of more. Again. Yeah, yeah, and then he had uh, Family Man, which it was like yeah. eight songs, half of it was spoken word, and the other half was instrumentals. It was super fucking weird, but I mean, I enjoy Black Flag with Henry Rollins, but more times than not, I listen to a lot of like Keith Moore's stuff because again. Um, like nervous breakdowns too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like totally like more of that scene. Well, I know during like the whole spoken word thing when like Henry first started, like there was a lot of tension in that band because of that. Yeah, I heard Greg Ginn's like a total asshole. Yeah, yeah, he's like weird. Yeah, I got a uh, Robo on drums. I remember he left too, and he drummed with the Misfits for a bit. Yeah, uh, with uh, I think Michael Graves was there at the time. I think he, he was like no, Doctor Chud was in when, when Graves was, like, was in. Yeah, but I thought Robo toured with them after Chud did the famous Monsters album. I'm pretty sure Robo toured with them before they released the uh, that like Project 1950 album. I or do whatever. know that Robo was touring with them when it was Jerry Only. Oh, it was Jerry Only. That was it. Yeah. It was yeah. Jerry only, I was gonna say I'm pretty I'm pretty that sure that Doctor Chud was in there up until Michael Graves left. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because then they went and he did Doctor Chud's whatever. 
yeah. his own band. Um, but yeah, Keith Morris, Black Flag, it's like kind of like Iron Maiden for me. I like them both, but I prefer Keith Morris, uh, his vocals over Henry Rollins, to be honest. I agree. 1990, Soundgarden becomes the first grunge band to make the Billboard Albums chart when Louder Than Love shows up at 168. It peaks at 108 in March. It's surprising it stayed on for that long. Yeah. Yeah. You're not a fan of this album, are you? No, I like it. I like this album a lot. It's not my favorite. This is the first album I bought from them that I actually owned. Um, Because I think we went to Best Buy one day when I was like actually collecting CDs. And I looked at Soundgarden, they didn't have any of them. And I had never even heard this album, and I bought it, and I listened to it, and I was like, all right. All over f- yeah, shit. yeah, I f- all right, I fuck with this. Yeah, that this album. There's um, some good stuff on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not, I didn't like, I might have I might have said something like that before, but I, I wasn't a big fan of it getting into Soundgarden. But um, as I got older, I, I started really digging Louder Than Love. Yeah, I enjoy it. But it, it is probably... My least or second least favorite Soundgarden album. What would you say your least favorite Soundgarden album is? Uh, either King Animal or um, whatchamacallit, um, Down on the Upside. Yeah, yeah. I do like Down on the Upside, but I like I King, like all. Of them. I like King Animal a lot yeah, too. I like all of them, but the, it's it's tough. Like the worst Soundgarden album for me is like an eight point six out of ten. Yeah, you know I wonder I mean? if that dude would give it five stars. Well, his name like super uh, unknown. Ten out of ten. <laughs> was it me. Metacritic? Yeah, Metacritic, Metacritic was when he gave it five stars. I thought it was some specific. Guy. I would give Super Unknown ten out of ten. Super Unknown's a good album. I'd probably get Bad Motorfinger like a nine point three. Yeah, nine point four. Super Unknown's definitely my favorite. Yeah, um, there's no denying how great those two albums are. Ultra yeah. Mega Okay, I'd probably give like a nine. Yeah. Um, nineteen ninety one. At the Speakeasy Club in Los Angeles, Dr. Dre roughs up Dee Barnes, the female host of a rap TV show called Pump It Up. Dre, who was upset over a segment on the show, later reached a settlement with Barnes, who filed his $22.7 million lawsuit against Dre. Hmm. So the lawsuit is $22.7 million. You're going to take advice with somebody who slapped Dee Barnes? <laughs> What'd you say? <laughs> What's wrong? Didn't think I remember? <laughs> oh, temper, temper. <laughs> I wonder what they settled for it. If the suit was 22.7, she would have settled for anything. She was really nobody at the time. Yeah. But that could have, yeah, just, it could have been as low as like $100,000. But still even. Just still, yeah, yeah, that's a big hit. Yeah. Care. When you're rich like that, I mean, he obviously deserved to pay something. But, no, 100%. Um, but um, apparently he fucked sued. her up. Oh, uh, yeah. Of course. Well, I think she had something to say about Stray Out Compton, too. Like, oh, of course Stray wasn't going to say anything about that. Yeah. What'd she say about it? Like that, of course, they didn't show that. Like they made Dre look like, you know, like the golden child, like he was perfect. Uh, that was like her biggest gripe with that movie. Uh, you know, they okay. didn't add that. Uh, She's still mad. Level yeah. of like, yeah. She's still a little butthurt. Um, 2013, a fight breaks out after Frank Ocean accuses Chris Brown of taking his parking space at a Los Angeles recording studio. Brown throws a punch at Ocean and threatens to shoot him, allegedly shouting, "We can bust on you too." Where's the singer from the Meat Puppets when you need him? Yeah, he's crazy son of a bitch. Oh yeah, just like a bullet from the. Uh, we're we're gonna fight on parking spaces. Yeah, <laughs> was it the post office? Yeah, <laughs> fucking. <kid. laughs> Twenty fourteen, Billy Joel begins his residency at Madison Square Garden, where he plays once a month as long as there is a demand. Yes. By July twenty eighteen, he hit his hundredth show. But fuck, fuck Billy, Billy Joel. Joel. <laughs> oh shit. 
<laughs> we we're not a fan of Billy Joel on this podcast. Yeah, yeah that shit he did to his drummer was ass. Yeah, we haven't been a fan of Billy Joel in how many episodes? It's since like that, 20? Yeah. I mean, since that, uh, <laughs> that documentary. Um, He's an asshole. I've never been a, a Billy Joel fan. I always thought I always saw right through that piece of shit. <laughs> it's funny too because I always had like a um because I remember when I heard this news about him playing there like this, and I just remember like seeing interviews and just kind of like videos of him and having that image. But then when I saw, um, you know, obviously that that entire hired gun movie and seeing exactly what type of person he really was, just I mean, yeah, yeah, fuck Billy Joel, yeah, fuck him, the day, yeah, as a person, I mean, absolutely. I mean, you know, his music is undeniable, but eh, just I can deny it. Yeah, but you have to think though, dude. Like, think of like Piano Man and shit. Not nah, never a fan. Really? Never Scenes from an Italian restaurant, only a good die young. I mean, nope. there is yeah, there's a lot of songs, but that's the thing. It's the same thing with Journey. I respect a lot of things for Journey. I just don't like their music. Yeah. I, I can respect it. But there's a difference with like Billy Joel because I'll still respect his music. Comes on the radio, depending on what else is on. Like, if the only options are Ghost, Nickelback, and Disturbed, I'm probably going to listen to Billy Joel if it's on the radio. I'll turn the radio off if those are my options. You really don't like, like Ghost that much? We're not going to get into this. That's a different subject altogether. <laughs> Fucking don't. But anyway. Um, <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah, like, but him as a person, like, there's just the whole, like, that was just... It goes beyond like any like allegations of like criminal offense cuz then that's just like more disheartening that you literally had no respect for your band like that. These guys like put in everything they asked for you and like, you know, as soon as you had an opportunity to move on to save some money, just yeah, whatever. Piece like, of shit. That, that's like that's like sociopathic shit. That's like how serial killers when you hear about them in documentaries that they're able to just cut people off without any fucking care. Yeah. This guy's fucking did everything for you. The one guy you couldn't even give him a goddamn plane ride home because you wanted to put your feet up. Come on. Yeah, dude, for real. Music news. Today in music news, January 27th, 2020. First thing we got here is All Time Low launch a beer collab with a perfect throwback inspired name. Uh, All Time Low teamed up with Full Tilt Brewery to create a new beverage called Beer Maria Count Me In. It's clever. It's very, it's clever. <laughs> uh, this isn't the first time the band ventured into the world of food and beverage. Uh, last March, uh, the front man, Alex, made a sweet investment with the company. Um, they came together to have a night of music and fun uh, on January 20th. On uh, New Year's Day, the company had announced online at All Time Low would be making an appearance at the brewery as guest bartenders would also have their own performance. Um, they would be serving their new blonde ale named after one of the man's, band's most popular tracks, Dear Maria, Count Me In. Never was a fan. <laughs> it's, it's a popular thing for me today. <laughs> um, I don't like this. It took a while for me to like All Time Low. <laughs> I'm not Scrooge lie. over here. Just like, <laughs> <laughs> nope. Nope. No, nope. we talk about Led Next. Zeppelin three. Move on. <laughs> God damn it! Um, it's we had an episode where I talked about like pop punk being like a guilty pleasure. I didn't even mention All Time Low. I'm not a big fan of All Time Low, but this song, I think it was just because that's just like a nostalgic thing. Yeah, because uh, I just remember like when I heard it. I mean, at the time I was dating an individual by such name uh, of the song title um, and also every. Yeah, we could say that. Okay. Uh, Count? Yeah. 
You were dating Count Olaf. Yeah, she <laughs> yeah, she wore a robe and everything. Um but yeah, I mean that's pretty cool. I think that's like a cool like uh marketing thing. I mean, I don't know how big all time low is out there in the public scene. I don't know. They did sell out Wembley Stadium. I they sold out cartel. Wembley Stadium? Fuck yeah, it's a special. It was uh two thousand fifteen or sixteen. It was on M T V, no bullshit. Wow. All right, so there you go. Boom. That beer will probably sell. Yeah. Fuck I yeah. do like Blondales. What is a Blondale, honestly? Uh it's like a lager, but like uh lighter. Yeah. Hmm. Pretty much. Kinda. Yeah. More full body though. It's weird. Yeah, I uh I don't more drink Pilsner alcohol guy myself. Do drugs. It's not too far off from a Pilsner. No? No. I'm gonna have to try this. You guys enjoy that. The state of New Jersey doesn't allow me to drink. <laughs> <laughs> I don't enjoy drinking. Drinking enjoys me. <laughs> Next thing in music news. You could chill on stage with Post Malone in a yacht suite at Bootsy Super Bowl party, but it will cost you hundred and fifty grand. I'm good. Uh, Post Malone will be the top liner at the Bootsy on the Water pop of event on January 31st, a one-night rager in Miami in a custom-built 40,000-square-foot tent on the bay that will also feature music from DJs Zach Bia, Lucian, Fred Matters, and Irie, and a promise of special surprises throughout the night. Um, runs from 10 p.m. to 4 a.m. Uh, won't be cheap. Uh, shared lounge tables start at $1,000 with upgrades including a 13-person private yacht with VIP access for 15000 a bump to a first-row VIP table with 15 guests at 30000 a 12-person 12 th- 12 helicopter experience with a first-row table for up to twelve for 65000 The ultimate package will be on-stage 80-person, 125-foot yacht suite for $150,000. What's this sound like to you? Fire Festival. <laughs> <laughs> first of all, I want to know where this money's going. Who are you paying? Yeah. Post Malone, does he really need it? Dude. I Yeah, I don't like anybody that much. Like where no. are you Yeah, dude. I mean, e- even like if it was like I mean I mean I might pay to like hang out with Kurt Cobain, but like I mean at the same exact time I don't I wouldn't Maybe pay like thirty bucks. Sixty five grand to <laughs> go sell, like what kind of conversation are you gonna have? Well this is nineteen nineties money we're talking about. And thirty dollars is a decent amount. Yeah, it's true. I mean ten dollar ticket back then was like, ugh. Well, ten dollar ticket was fucking pit. I know. I don't know if I could break the bank with ten dollar <laughs> ticket. Um, but yeah, I want to know where that fucking money's going to. Yeah, like who are you paying to do this? And Illuminati. Be, <laughs> yeah, for real. Like that's going. I don't know, man. Like um, honestly, you'd have to have some serious shit. Like Post Malone could headline whatever, but yeah. you need to have like Eminem performing Eminem show in his entirety. Yeah, and like Margot Robbie would have to suck my dick for sixty five grand at this party too. I mean, this is just <laughs> fucking crazy. Like, I don't know. And Tarantino's got to direct it. Yeah. Oh yeah, and there's got to be a lot of feet in the mix. Women's feet would be nice. Fun <laughs> thing. Um, but uh, that's just crazy. I, it's funny. I'm thinking about this now because with the Super Bowl being in Miami, I didn't even really think about the um like what may happen as a result of that. And obviously this is one of those things where you can get like pop artists to just be able to exploit the opportunity. Like, Hey, a couple days before the Super Bowl, come on out and um, we'll charge you 65 grand. You can- And then this is the thing you get dumbasses who are the same people that have to buy the new iPhone every year, just for some general principle that'll spend this money just so they can have a couple photos on Instagram and do it for the likes. Bro, we're I mean, talking $150,000 for six hours. Yeah. Like, what is that? Like, when you put that into perspective, let's see. All right. 
And it's um, hold on, let's break down the math though. You get that much money, right? One hundred fifty thousand dollars, and then like let's say it's a twelve people for the table with the helicopter experience. The whole works, right? Yeah. Of those twelve people, I guarantee you, eighty of them, eighty percent of them will get blackout drunk before like the six hours isn't even remotely up. Yeah. And it's like you could have just went to a bar where they're serving two dollar paps blue ribbons and like had just as great an experience, but you're losing out on the opportunity for photo ops. Like that's really what this comes down to. Why would you spend this amount of money to do what exactly? I, th- then again, dude, we're the talking about this. The sh- 20s. <laughs> we got it back. We're talking about this <laughs> shit, but then again, we're also remembering the fire Festival and how much money people paid for that shit. Probably yeah. ready for and they didn't even have Post Malone. 30s. They only had Blink-182. I think they backed out before it even yeah. like, started getting built. <laughs> I mean, I, I just think this is ridiculous. I wish I had this much fuck you money to be like, you know what? 150 grand for six hours. I wish no one had that much fuck you money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if I got 150 grand to just blow on 125-foot yacht with Post Malone, I probably wouldn't even be in a position to think about spending my money that way because obviously I'm pretty educated and I'm doing something with my life. To Dave have. Grohl would have to hang out with me there. I, I don't even think that would be a tipping point. <laughs> I don't really think there's many people out there in the world that I would want to spend that amount of money with. And if you could find 80... like I mean, how does this work? A Groupon? I don't even have 80 friends. <laughs> well, no, no. It says, all right, so 13 you get 80 person. friends real quick if you had this shit going on. <laughs> yeah, you got to be like, hey, you want to be my friend? You got to chip in $25. No, they would just come. That's how you yeah, get you it. Oh, if I oh yeah, if I pay for the whole thing, <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay. Yo yo yo, <laughs> buy seventy nine people right now, dude. <laughs> Just post on Facebook, like you'll it'll it'll happen. searching for seventy nine people to join me on a hundred and twenty five foot yacht with Post Malone in Miami a few days before the Super Bowl. All you have to do is show up and act like you like me. Uh, you might have to re- all expenses. <laughs> tell Post I'm cool. You, you, spared no expense. You might have to reactivate your Facebook for this. Yeah, I might have. This will be the reason. Yep, you heard it here first. I'm going to reactivate my Facebook just to put out in a public post that I'm spending 150 grand to go hang out with Post Malone. Need 79 individuals to join me. <laughs> Do you miss Facebook? No, no, not at all. Really? Yeah, I really don't. No but, news or anything. No news outlets you miss or anything. No, I mean because I use like NPR. Or, you know, Google things. I get like Apple News that causes me to spark to go look for specific National things. National Petroleum Radio. Yeah, yeah, you could say that. Yeah. yeah, pretty sure you had that in one of the car when you picked me up. I'd like to see what the enemy's saying. <laughs> okay. Keep your enemies close. True. Last thing we have here in music news is a sad one. Uh, Neil Peart, drummer from Rush, dies at age 67. Um, the drummer and lyrical voice of legendary Canadian progressive rock band Rush passed away. Uh, Rolling Stone reports that uh, Peart had succumbed to aggressive brain cancer at age 67. Uh, Rush's official account shared the news asking fans to donate to a cancer research group or charity of their choosing and sign off with Rest in Peace Brother. Um, Peart replaced uh, original Rush drummer John Rutsey after the release after the release of the 1974 self-titled debut album. Since the release of the band's 1975th album, uh, Caress of Steel, Peart not only assisted in writing the trio's huge mus- musicianship, but uh, was also responsible for much of the band's lyrics as well. His work with the band uh, encompasses 19 studio albums and 11 live releases. He was also a prolific writer whose 2002 memoir, Ghost Rider, Travels on the Healing Road, was uh, acclaimed by both fans of his band and literary fans. 
Yep. Once again, not a fan, really. Sorry. No. Nah, even Neil Peart's drumming, I think it's a bit busy. Um, I'm going to say, not a fan, Connor. Here we go. <laughs> now that I just checked that off the list. Um, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of Rush in general, uh, the band, but th- I'm going to tell you right now, just not to be on like the same generic thing you hear about Neil Puritan being like how great he was. That was literally the one thing that drove me to Rush. Like yeah. if I'm going to listen to Rush, I'm and it was before like I really understood the hype behind him and like the notoriety he had, but his drumming alone is really um there's I don't know. I I, I look He's for a specific a thing dude. in drummers and just how precise it is and just like when you hear the fills and like just how great some of his um drumming sounded like that's literally the what like i would listen to rush for like there's no rush songs out there we're like wow i'm really enjoying this fucking song other than the fact of like oh wow that was a really cool drum part oh wow that's a really cool verse oh wow that's a really cool drum part there too like um i in recent years i've gotten into the rush catalog and i have liked what i've heard i mean it's not like i went through 19 fucking studio albums and shit but you know i picked out like you'd be surprised the amount of fucking singles that that band had yeah like you'd be surprised. Like I remember sitting down and just going like, "Okay, okay," and it's just like boom. By the time it's said and done, they have a greatest hits album of nothing but singles. Yeah, and I mean, you know, like them or not, they're they're an interesting band, and they're definitely yeah. they're definitely originators. Yeah. I don't hate on innovators. Rush fans. No, because I, I I do. It's one of those things where I do have the respect for them. It's just not my cup of tea. Yeah. That Getty Lee's voice is definitely yeah, an acquired taste. I think taste. that's what gets me, honestly. Like if they had, then again, though, I don't think that band could exist with another vocalist. I don't like the like fantasy, like that's yeah, that's what I'm the saying. Whole progressive yeah, just the aspect. whole yeah, but it's like progressive in like a weird way because I'm like a big fan of like progressive sound. I like yes. That's what I was just gonna say. Yeah. Like, yes, King Crimson, even like yeah. after Bill Bruford Dream went Theater. over there, Dream Theater. Um, I mean, like Symphony X, like there's a lot of other like progressive like sounds out there where it was like more like desirable as opposed to Rush was almost like, I don't even know how to like put it. It was almost like foreigner like journey of like the progressive error. Like it was just, I don't know. I think it's also too, because like I, how many times if I fucking heard Tom Sawyer, Tom Sawyer, exactly. Like it's just, Oh my God. And like, that's what it always comes back to. So then every song I hear, like I immediately like that, like all the, like the noises. Yeah, dude. (laughs) Um, but again, it's just, his drumming is like undeniable. That was the thing about it. Like, and that's another thing, like, again, with Rush fans. Like, I don't ever hate on Rush fans because they're not out there trying to treat Rush as being like the greatest rock band of all time or anything. Yeah. Um, but Neil Beard is definitely, definitely one of those guys where it's like, you know, his drumming, like, is just so. Oh, 100%. It's, it's it undeniable. Good. Yeah. Undeniable. Yeah. Which brings us into our topic for this week. Recently, we have done a greatest guitar players episode, you know, driven by the inaccuracies of Rolling Stone. But now we figure we expand this topic into getting into the rest of the band. We're going to start with the drummers this time. Does anybody have any particular drummers that they want to start this conversation with? Obviously, Neil Peart is going to be, you know, the first drummer that we just discussed. Yeah. I have him on my overrated. Really? Yeah. I, I can I can understand that. I, I think he's great. It. I don't think, I, I don't know. He might, yeah, he's probably overrated, but I don't know. You have to think about it, though, for the time, like 1975, like when he showed up on that album, like that, like that shit was different. Like I don't know, though. If someone drummer. gave me a 600 piece drum kit, I'd probably be 
all over the place too. <laughs> I mean, I can also like totally understand that because I think Neil Peart before I really got into like any idea of like the actual musicians and bands. Like I remember for a very long time, the Doors were my favorite band, and like someone called me out, I was like, "Name somebody else other than Jim Morrison," and I was like, "Fuck!" <laughs> and then that's when I really started like diving into the actual musicians of these bands and really started to take credit to understand like you know them as specific musicians. And Neil Peart was always that guy. Like I knew no other drummers' names. I may have known John Bonham and like Keith Moon. Do you like Alex Lifeson? Who is that? See, that's what I'm saying. Guitars, guitar Rush. player from Rush. yeah, exactly. I don't even know his name. I mean, I know nobody outside of Getty Lee and Neil Pure. And it's here's just the th- Alex Lifeson besides them. Okay, there you go. See, I didn't know that. <laughs> you and two thirds. But here's the thing about that. Again, Neil Peart was always the guy where I think that's why I can understand the overrated part because he was constantly mentioned. Yeah. Like always as like, oh, he's the greatest drummer yeah. of all time because nobody, like, I didn't really even know any other drumming, you know? And then obviously it extends forward and you listen to other drummers and. You know, you start to understand better. And then, like, I listen to different bands. And then you have, like, the metal genre. Then you have the rock genre. Then you even have, like, drummers for, like, certain rap, rap bands. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Like Questlove. Questlove's an awesome drummer. Yeah. Um, that he is. You know what I mean? And then you go th- throughout that. And I think that's the reason why, like, I can understand, Connor, with, like, the whole overrated concept. I, But, it's, again, like, when I listen to, like, a certain artist and I say they're overrated, I actually can feel it. And for some reason to this day, even so, like... I can't say Neil Peart, in my opinion, is overrated. I think he's like right there. I got a couple more overrated if you're interested. Go ahead. Larry Mullen Jr. from U2. Oh, yeah. Uh, overrated. Well, right? we remember, yeah. we've talked about this before about like what, like when he should have left U2. They should have just broke up. U2 should have been done after uh, Vertigo. They should yeah. have been like, all right, we had a last hurrah. We but talked about maybe that do with a the, swan song after that, but right around there, they should have gave it up. Yeah, we talked about that when the dude from uh, Rolling Stones left, wasn't it? No, like, no, that we did. A, there was a U two one. I think the drummer left. Well, like in now, the, REM, the drummer left first. I don't know. I'm gonna have to dive yeah, back. back on that we, we, we've pretty sure we mentioned this. something in music news, and we brought up you too that he should have left after. Oh, that's what it was because we brought such. up the i the uh, iTunes thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we're like, oh, talk about a drummer that should have left. The yeah, fucking yeah, band. yeah. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> My bad. I've also got Keith Moon as well. Over un, uh, overrated. Really? Yes. I think so. I, I'll yeah. agree with you on that one. No way. And then Taylor Hawkins. I, I agree. Really. With that. Yeah, I agree with that. You think he's overrated? A little bit. I don't feel like people like, talk about him at all because I feel like he's overshadowed by him, Dave Grohl. Yeah. He, he gets talked about like because he got that blessing from Dave Grohl, where it's like you're okay yeah. to fill my shoes. Well, that's the and thing I think too. He's a lot more generic than Dave Grohl. Yeah, but he's like he could be a pop drummer. Like, yeah. well, he was. He was in the yeah. last more sets band. He doesn't have much of his own style. I feel like. Yeah, actually, when you go to think about it and you like, like you play through like the fucking Foo Fighters discography in your head, Foo Fighters kind of entered their like shittier period when he joined. Like, I think he's that voice in Dave Grohl's head that's like, dude, let's like go into another part here and like turn this song into a giant <laughs> what, shit show. And what <laughs> album? What album was he actually on? One by one. That was the first one he was. That on. was the first one he was on. Yeah. Uh, he might have. Uh, he might have played on half of. Um, There's nothing left to lose. I can't remember. He he definitely wasn't on the first two albums, no. and and those are the best. Yeah, yeah. I think he played half the drums on there. Is nothing left to lose. 
Hmm. But they that could have just been Dave Grohl being nice. Yeah, like it it could have just been all Dave Grohl. I we should sit down one day and like analyze like the drum tracks from that For album each, and hear yeah. which one See was if we Dave. Can figure it out. Yeah. yeah. Um. So Connor, I know you've been um more so on the pessimistic, grumpy side today since you started out with your underrated or uh, excuse me, overrated list. I have some underrated. I was gonna say, well. do you have any drummers that you actually enjoy? <laughs> Levon Helm from the band. Okay. Okay. You're saying um, underrated yeah. or you, underrated? I, okay, yeah. okay, okay. Um, Mitch Mitchell, Jimi Hendrix Experience. Yes. Mm. Uh, Matt Cameron, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam fame. Yeah, I agree 100% with that one. And John Bonham. John I mean, Bonham. not underrated, but favorite. Good. That's what I was yeah, going to yeah. say. Yeah. I was going to ask you if you had like a level where it's like you can like agree with them being told how, how good they actually are. See, the problem with Matt Cameron, dude, is everyone knows how good he is, but everyone always talked about Dave Grohl. I was yeah. just going to say like, Dave Grohl so, is like the soul giant, sucker. He's like the drum, the, the grunge soul sucker. I was going to say the uh, grunge yeah. drum soul sucker. But that's, that's true. Also the thing yeah. when you said like, how can you say like with like Taylor Hawkins? Like, I don't really think he's mentioned so much. It's because Taylor Hawkins follows into that category of like being a part of that scene where he's not a John Bonham, he's not a Neil Peart, so he's not getting talked about. But when you put him in that scene, I mean, if you think of all those drummers from like those '90s bands that were up and coming, and obviously how fucking Foo Fighters has just become like we're going to tour all the time in your mm-hmm. face constantly. I mean, Matt Cameron, if you put him, he's in the same scene. I mean, arguably, he's literally in the same scene as Foo to Fighters. Me, Matt Cameron is like a more developed John Bonham. Yeah, like I mean, raw well, and primal and yeah. more like down the road. Yeah, a bit. Like, I, I think he's less technical, though, than John Bonham. John Bonham, he doesn't do like the three minute like that's what I'm saying, yeah. But I yeah, think, I mean, yeah, for but, um, yeah, for band purposes, I think Matt Cameron was the most well-rounded. Well, I think uh, drummer. Yeah, I think Matt Cameron sits in a band really well. Like Matt he Cameron, sits yeah. in very, very. Matt good. Cameron wrote Pearl Jam's last big hit, The Fixer. That was that was like their last like big big hit. Yeah. And then like with Matt Cameron too, dude, you hear like the fucking drums for fucking Spoon Man. Like, oh, yeah. like that shit is tight. Yeah, and I'm sure he had a lot to do with the coming together of Spoon Man. Oh fuck yeah. Dude, like that like that right there. That like when when I think of Matt Cameron, that's instantly what I think of. That drum intro. Um, yeah. The the drums on Bad Motor Finger and Super Unknown are just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. So. I agree. Um yeah, that's my best of and worst of. I think back to I want to go back to Taylor Hawkins real quick. I think um, <laughs> I think the reason I'm not too sold on his drumming is he he likes drummers I'm not that crazy about. Like um, I'm not gonna say uh, well, like Stuart Copeland. Stuart Copeland's overrated, but not my cup of tea, really. Yeah, I don't style. think Stuart Copeland's an overrated drummer. At no, all. I don't think he's overrated at all. But um, he's not my he's not my style. Yeah, and he also likes Jane's Addiction a lot. Mm. And I like Jane's Addiction. I really like Jane's Addiction. But if I had to single out a weakest element of Jane's Addiction, they could they could have used some more heaviness on the drums. I feel. I agree. Well, yeah. I mean, but it's also too that sound of Jane's Addiction wasn't Jane's Addiction was super produced. Yeah, it really the drums was. In that time period, weren't the best sounding. It was like the the uh, transition from eighties reverby drums to nineties like yeah. digital like trying to sound live drums yeah mm-hmm. yeah i can i can totally understand that so i always felt yeah i always just felt like uh 
the Jane's Addiction recordings weren't loud enough. Yeah, especially that first album. Because, yeah, you can tell, like, they're heavier songs. They're not loud. Their heavier songs aren't even, like... Yeah, I, I can totally understand. It's always funny, that. too, because when there's like interviews or whatever with Foo Fighters, Dave Grohl's always like, yeah, big ass drums. And it's like, I haven't heard big ass drums on a Foo Fighters record since, <laughs> since the fucking, first one. Yeah. Really? Nah, I mean, maybe even sides color and the shape. Like, think of My Hero. Uh, my Hero. But they're kind of compressed. Yeah. But they didn't Dave compressed. do drums on color and the shape? Fuck yeah, he yeah. did. So, yeah. That's I why mean, they sound so exactly, good. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, William right. Goldsmith probably fucked that shit yeah, up. Yeah, but Gil Norton did it, and Gil Norton washes everything in a bunch of effects. Yeah. yeah. You know, I would have liked to have heard a version of Color in the Shape with William Goldsmith, like, just to hear what it would have sounded yeah. like. Like, was it really that bad? Was Sunny Day was yeah. I do, too. Yeah. I do, too. I always felt like William got a bad rap. Probably yeah, wasn't I've, so bad. I just feel like maybe it was like a part of him where he felt like, like he'll never admit to it, but like he was always kind of like intimidated by Dave and like that probably, you know, prohibited him from really experimenting and growing as a drummer. Was well, it yeah. playing it safe? Yeah. Just to accommodate for the album. Exactly. sake and what he was writing. Because like, I mean, you think about well, it. I'd be like if Led Zeppelin broke up and John Bonham didn't die and then John Bonham starts a giant band and then you're trying to play drums for John Bonham. Yeah. It's like, yeah, exactly. Do do? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like, well, it's also too. You think about when Dave went into Nirvana. I mean, he was at the perfect helm of like them still establishing himself, so he could go in there and act however he wanted and really establish himself as a drummer. But yeah, yeah. Dave Grohl at his point in time for Color in the Shape, he's already got enough credibility. Where yeah, I would be fucking intimidated too if I'm going in there and he was the I biggest mean, drummer in the world for like the past like saying. three that's years. Yeah, Foo Fighters started. Yeah, that's got to be fucking. I can understand that. Like there was probably no drummer that was more famous than dave Grohl. like everybody kind of knew what he looked like because he was on mtv yeah. yeah you know what i mean yes yeah he's that nirvana guy yeah <laughs> i mean he <laughs> was probably the last face. one to get recognized between the three yeah and then in the nirvana days yeah because his hair was always in his face but then once he, yeah. well that and because it was like you had kurt who was the front man then you had chris who was like fucking seven foot yeah, tall he's like freakishly tall yeah and yeah. then it's just like oh then there's the third guy Little yeah, do you a, know, the third guy would be making quite a stir in the music scene in the mid, mid to late 90s. Made more money than any of them. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, Courtney, too. So, you guys got anybody? In, any? Um, I I wanted to say, for the overrated, we'll start with the like the grumpy aspect, Connor. Um, and I know, Bill, you'll disagree with this, but I think Steven Adler from Guns N' Roses is super overrated. Um, I think it's because, again, when you talk about like weakest points, we talked about Slash being an overrated guitarist, but Appetite, Angie and our lies, both the live tracks and the acoustic tracks. I think Slash's guitar work enough is like more notable. Whereas, like, there's nothing about the drums on it. Like, even the intro to Rocket Queen, I mean, they're memorable moments of his drumming, but there's nothing on there. It's the same thing with like another overrated drummer, like Tommy Lee from Motley Crue. I think a lot of it goes with like who the band yeah, is. Yeah, I definitely agree with that one. Yeah. yeah, as who the band is. And then the guy who's in the band, where not only was Steven Adler himself a douche. Uh, completely, uh, but it's just his drumming is just not, there's nothing to it that really can say like, okay, he's, you know, as recognized as he should be. Now, do you feel like Matt Sorum is better than Steven Adler? No, I, I don't. You don't think Matt Sorum's better? I don't think but he he's, doesn't get rated much. Yeah, yeah, I think it's different. Um, But again, I think it's also too, it's because of what Steven Adler's on. I think that's the issue. The Matt, Sorum, Matt Sorum played on uh, Use, Use Your, Your Illusion, right? Yeah, yeah but that's also, too, both Use Your Illusions 1 and 2, to me, are like more so of like the more commercial or turning commercial Guns N' Roses albums. 
Okay, um, yeah, I see what you're saying. And then also with that list, uh, the last one I'll say before, Bill, I'll let you say the other one that I had in mind, but Meg White from the White Stripes, I think. Uh, see, I think she has her own style. But I, I think it's just too generic for that band. I think she could a lot more could have been done with what she did. I agree with that. Um, I feel know, like and, there's definitely a lot of lost yeah, space. I think, yeah, but for drummers that I really appreciate, aside from Keith Moon and John Bottom, um, I'm going to talk about Ginger Baker from the band Cream. I think Ginger Baker is probably for his time, probably the best drummer of his, you know, genre considering I'll take Ringo. <laughs> you would take Ringo star no. over Ginger. Baker. Well, okay, I, was like, I mean, let's be real for a second. Serious. I was like a little nervous. <laughs> well, let's be real for a second. Yeah. Ringo isn't a bad drummer no. at all, but dude, tomorrow if you, never um, knows. Yeah. They're, 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 when we talk about, cause I saw a documentary it was called beware of Mr. Baker. It's on Netflix. And like, you got to really see how much investment Ginger Baker put into like his craft, like the, the things he studied, the countries he traveled to and like actually how good he was. Um, I didn't really even realize it until I like what that was another artist where it's like once I started to understand the members, I went back and I really listened to like Cream's live albums, especially like the reunion show. Um, and just how really just technical he was, how fucking good he was, how precise he was, and like how very, very uh, intricate his drumming had been. And then it's funny because he's also got like the same style of a lot of drummers that I like from like more of that progressive sound, like with that jazz influence background with like weird time signatures. Yeah. Um, like Bill Bruford from Yes. Um, after he released Fragile, he went on and moved on with King Crimson and made King Crimson the best they ever were. I mean, the album Red um, by King Crimson is probably one of the best albums for just drum tracks alone. I mean, I think Bill Bruford's one of those most underrated drummers because you don't really hear his name in the talks of like Keith Moon, John Bonham, um, all those guys of that scene because, I mean, he was putting out albums in the late 60s, early 70s between Yes and King Crimson. And then obviously... Aside from um, Chris Adler, another favorite drummer of mine who's no longer with one of my dear, dear bands being Lamb of God. No relation to Steven Adler. No relation whatsoever. <laughs> uh, not even in talent. Uh, but Danny Carey from Tool. And I talk about Tool a lot, and maybe I talk about Tool too much. But hey, that's okay. I'm all right with that. That's my Neil Young. That's my band that should not be named coming on. Uh I haven't but, brought up Neil Young in a while. I know you bring you up Tool yeah. a lot more than I bring up Neil well, Young. Well, because I saw him live. Yeah, you bring up Tool a lot more than we bring up any gay other about band. Tool recently because I saw him live and, uh, you know, I had an orgasm during like halfway through the set, <laughs> unwillingly. But Tool, I mean, Danny Carey, I mean, they actually did a recent show back on, um, they started touring again on the 17th, I believe. And uh, they did a thing for Neil Peart and um, he did a drum solo for him. And what was the one song that's just a, was it 21 to 20, 21, 12. Yeah. Yeah. He did all a 21, 12 at a tool show. And I that's mean, he's cool. just, yeah, he's just one of those drummers where it's like, I I'm glad he's kind of the guy he is. You only hear about him again, the same way you hear about like Taylor Hawkins or like Matt Cameron. It's like, if you're familiar with the scene, his name doesn't really get put out there. Mm-hmm. as like one of those great drummers. So I don't ever say he's underrated because he is well known enough. Um, but he's just one of those really technical, enjoyable drummers, especially for their sound. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think those drummers definitely, definitely are like my top, top echelon. Nice. All right. Well, I'm just going to break the ice here and I'm going to say what needs to be said. Yeah. Probably one of the most overrated drummers is Lars Ulrich. Oh yeah. Yeah. From Metallica. My opinion on Lars Ulrich is for a band that's as good as Metallica and is on the level as Metallica, they should have had a better drummer by they at least the second album. Kill them all, yeah. yeah. 
Like you think about all the drummers he probably from the thrash band or some shit. Like, exactly. Yeah. Like there's probably, probably some like contract in there that they just couldn't get rid of. <laughs> like, do you think? I mean, and you say like after Kill 'Em All, but do you think like I mean, obviously Kill 'Em All was like the breakthrough. So like, let's say no. they give them a. No, but I'm saying like for them to like make their mark. Like, uh, that's where they start. Uh, yeah, I don't think it was their break though. Like, their I mean, breakthrough was definitely master. Of, of course, but that's yeah. what I'm saying. So they do. Let's say they did like Kill 'Em All, right? And it was good enough. They got on the scene. They're having an album out. They're getting the, like the recognition. Then Ride the Lightning comes out, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, Cliff's still there. Dave's now like his his uh, writing. Uh, you it's know, starting, to go away. starting to fade away. Yeah. But then after Ride the Lightning, they're like, "All right, we need to revisit this." Dave Lombardo. Yeah. And they brought like somebody like yeah, especially Dave Lombardo, who I didn't mention, who's another great drummer of that genre. He comes in yeah. and they do Master of Puppets with Dave. Dude, it'd be Lombardo. fucking crazy. Could you right. imagine Slayer's <laughs> drums with Metallica on Master of Puppets? It'd be fucking insane. <laughs> like especially like uh, Damage Incorporated. Yeah. Oh my god, dude. Or like even Battery. Yeah. Could you imagine Battery Jesus, with an actual dude. drummer? <laughs> I mean, because even if you listen to Dave Lombardo when he drummed with Suicidal Tendencies, he made them better. You know what I mean? Yeah. When he drums with the Misfits, they sound better. I mean, he's just one of those drummers where, especially, he's like the Matt Cameron of the metal scene. Yeah. You put him I anywhere agree. on any of those thrash bands, and they're just like, okay, who's the, who the fuck's that drumming? Let's do <laughs> another, another overrated one that um you brought it up was Tommy Lee. Yeah. I mean, I feel like Tommy Lee might be the most overrated drummer of all fucking He's all time. about theatrics. Yeah, that's yeah. literally it. That's why they need to have a fucking roller coaster when they play a show, because no one else gives a shit about anything that Tommy Lee's doing. Let's be real. That's why he's got a fucking three-foot-tall bass drum when they play live. It's like, look at me. I'm Tommy Lee. I'm the fucking clown. He's yeah. like the Sid Vicious of drums. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong, it, though. Yeah. He's not a horrible drummer by any means, but he... He could keep a beat. Yeah. I mean, I think he's better than Lars, but uh, I feel like... I don't know. I don't think he could do what Lars I d- could do. I don't either. I think... I honestly well, I think, think Tommy Lee... I think Lars and Tommy Lee are like the same type of drummer. Like, they're just good for that band, and they just keep it like they, they keep it safe. Yeah. You know, Lars yeah. adds a little flair to it, which makes, and he's also playing Metallica tunes as opposed to Motley Crue tunes. So you can't really compare the two, but yeah, yeah. I mean, they're on like the same playing field. Yeah. But uh, however, Tommy Lee is actually a, like a studying drummer. Like he was in fucking marching band and shit. Like he actually knows how to play drums. Like he's, he's not like a PhD in quotes drummer, but yeah, like music went to school for like music theory. Yeah. And shit. Like, like yeah. he knows how to play. It just sucks that he's in the type of band that doesn't allow him to, you know, go through his full potential. Yeah. Um, another underrated drummer, and I don't know how you guys will feel about this one, is um, Alex Van Halen. Underrated? Underrated. I feel like nobody talks about him because it's overshadowed by Eddie. Yeah, but I think, again, I think a lot of drummers, it's a shame where you mention them, and then it's like the band they're in, and I can totally agree with that, like the overshadowing yeah. concept, because, I mean... There's so many bands, and like, I, I guess it's because he's not the in the band to be like the face of it, obviously, even yeah. though he's his brother, um, and then he's obviously part of that band. But yeah, I mean, Uncle, yeah, uh, Uncle Alex, yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's like, yeah, you're not really listening to because I mean, even when I knew Van Halen, I knew Sammy Hagar, obviously, I knew David Lee Roth, and I knew Eddie. I mean, it's like the same thing with um. Angus and Malcolm Young. You know, yeah. I didn't even really know Malcolm Young was the other guitarist in that band for a very long time. Yeah, because Angus was the face. Exactly. And I think that's where Al, um, he, like, I don't know with uh, Van Halen. I think it's because of the music. Um, but yeah, his drumming is 
you know, like the intro to fucking hot for teacher. Yeah. I just, so that's what you got to bring yeah, up to dude. give him props. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like that, that shit that's his eruption. Exactly. Yeah. Like, dude, yeah. that shit is crazy. Yeah. And like, if you ever get a chance to check out, um, the Van Halen, uh, concert live without a net, it was in, uh, new Haven, Connecticut. There's a drum solo in there that it's fucking ridiculous. Like it is like second and on one of the greatest drum solos I've ever seen. Okay. Or heard. I'll check it out. Um, I think another underrated drummer is Vinnie Paul from Pantera. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like he's not mentioned enough in like the greatest drummers, but you think about where, or you think about Pantera, right? You think about yeah. the time period they came out. Uh-huh. You think about how like before their time they were and not for nothing. You listen to the breakdown of domination. Like dude, like, <laughs> He, um, like dude that like that shit was beyond its time he's like uh what when we talk about you know bands like metallica and molly crew when they have a drummer just to sit in and like be like just keep the b and just like be there. you know be there to like add a little bit to it but you're not you're not the fa- you're not the john bottom you know you're not the bill yeah. ward you know you're just you're there he was like perfect like nobody else could have done that no i think there's a lot of other drummers you could have put in there that could have added more technicality but vinnie paul was just perfect for that band yeah, that was the sound that, like that, that was it because every time i think of like pantera i think of like a steel mill like just like a blacksmith like grinding fucking fresh swords like it's just such a heavy iron sound and like vinnie paul's drumming just like gives you that like far beyond driven dude yeah it's just oh my listen to the yeah, intro dude. of five minutes alone obviously yeah. you're listening to it if you're listening to this episode we're very sorry about the uh I mean, I mean that isn't Pantera's five minutes alone. <laughs> We're talking about this Mantera seven minutes alone track. Eight minutes alone. Eight minutes alone. Mantera. <laughs> but like Mantera. But yeah, I mean, I feel like Vinnie Paul is one of those drummers, dude. Where like, obviously, he's talked about now because he's dead. But at the point in time, no one was ever like, you know, who's a really good fucking metal drummer, Vinnie Paul. Yeah. But, you know, it's almost like a Phil Rudd situation with ACDC where it's so simplistic that it's easy to be looked over. Yeah. But it's one of those things where it's another Ringo situation to where it's like he does exactly what needs to be done in the song. Uh-huh. Like, it's nothing more, nothing less. Yeah. And it drives it and it's done. It's kind of like how John Densmore is. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. yeah. I think Johnny Densmore was... Uh, the exact same way because again there's certain drummers like you could have put other drummers in these bands and probably gave it more flair but again it's like you obviously would have heard it like how it is with those new drummers as opposed to what we know about it so there would be nothing yeah. to compare it to but i think again like i don't listen to pantera and like damn like i wish they had a better drummer no like, fuck no i could listen to metallica and imagine what they would have with dave lombardo i can listen well, to Megadeth. heard it online yeah, exactly. Dave Lombardo played what? I think he played battery. Yeah. He did? Yeah, I think there's a live video of Dave Lombardo playing battery. I think, yeah, you did show and me Joey that. And Joey Jordison played um, Seek and Destroy with him and yeah. Ender Sandman. Yeah, so it's just like the possibility of knowing yeah. it. But again, like Pantera is one of those bands where it's like you could put anybody beyond there, but it's also the same thing with... Um, uh, filthy Phil uh, Animal from Motorhead. Like yeah. Motorhead's drummer was like the same way with uh, Phil. Just It was just a sound that they were going for they weren't taking crazy shots, but they were doing exactly what like I wanted to hear from them. They were giving like the fans the music they wanted to hear. But I think exactly. Metallica, they got a little more technical with Master of Puppets and Justice for All. They they changed their sound and became yeah. more musically inclined, and like the drumming never excelled. Peaking with puppets. Peaking <laughs> with puppets. <laughs> but um, 
yeah, I guess those are mine. I mean, some notable mentions, you know, obviously like my drummer list is going to be more inclined to metal. Yeah. But um, actually probably another underrated drummer that's overshadowed by Dave Grohl is Sean Kinney from Alice in Chains. Yeah. Like that dude's fucking undeniable, dude. Yeah. The intro to No Excuses. Yeah. That's very nice. Yeah. Like that shit's so fucking good. Yeah. It's all right. But um, yeah, I guess some notable mentions, you know, uh, Thomas Hawk from Meshuga, yeah, insanely good drummer, yeah, insanely good foot skills. Gene, Gene Hoagland. Hoagland, wow, that's yeah. weird as hell. <laughs> Gene, Gene Hoagland, Hoagland. Yep. extremely good drummer. Very good. Uh, Matt Matt Griner from August Burns Red. Yeah. Oh I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, yeah. he's fucking sick. Yeah. Like that dude is nasty. Yep. Mike Portnoy from Dream Theater. Yes. Like the you know, those are just some notable mentions. He also did solo shit with John Petrucci, and it's fucking excellent too. Yeah, and he was in Liquid Tension Experiment. Liquid Tension too. Experiment. Bill yep. Barry. REM. Oh yeah. Ooh. Bill Ward. Yeah. Well, I Black mentioned Sabbath. him. Yeah. yeah I think you Brad Wilk. Brad huh? Wilk. Brad Wilk. Yeah. Yep. Oh yeah. 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 He's he's another one of those drummers that's like Obviously. not like super crazy, but he's perfect. but he's like perfect, he's perfect for the perfect band. for that yeah. band, dude. He he's not too far off for me from uh, Chad Smith. Chad yeah. Smith's another one too. Yeah, yeah. You can drop him into any situation; he'd be fine. Yeah, Chad yeah. Smith was great for Red Hot Chili Peppers when they finally got oh, him. Yeah. Did you hear him in Chicken Foot, the band he did with Sammy Hagar and Joe Satriani? Yeah, he showed me that. Yeah, yeah. dude, he's good in he's that fucking, band yeah. too. Yep. Yeah, he and it's crazy because with that band, it's not your simple like you know simple patterns and stuff where they were like writing songs that were very traditional. So, but he, his drumming wasn't even super crazy to the point where it just kind of flowed with like John Frusciante and like what Flea was doing. It was just, yeah, yeah that's a, that's another weird like band where it's like the drummer again, just perfect for that band. And obviously we're all, um, we're all forgetting probably the most underrated is, uh, Will Ferrell. That time he did the drum off with Chad Smith. I didn't even know who was who at some point. The, the, Dude, isn't it weird? Like alone. how much them two look alike? Yeah, but I'll even their Chad skills. Smith overall yeah <laughs> i would right, take so uh, will ferrell over taylor Hawkins. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i guess so i what are we going to do do we want to do what we consider to be the most underrated drummer and the most overrated drummer yeah we can go I around think, and feel just like say, tommy lee we could agree on i, I can agree with yeah. tommy lee being the I most overrated tommy yeah, lee is 100 overrated and then i guess you're most appreciated but underappreciated in the public spotlight hmm I'm stuck between Vinnie Paul or Alex Van Halen. Probably Vinnie Paul. I, I agree. I can agree Vinnie with Vinnie Paul. Paul. Because Vinnie Paul didn't have a hot for teacher. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like, yeah, you listen to Van right. Halen out of your first yeah, five you songs. Have have that we discussed today for underrated. Like, Levon Helm is great, but he's not so underrated. Same with Mitch Mitchell, Matt Cameron, and John Bonham. Like, they do get props. Yeah. yeah. Matt Cameron may be a little underrated. Same with Sean Kinney. I agree. From the girl vacuum. But, um... <laughs> Yeah, all right. Vinny Paul. I can agree with Vinny Paul. Vinny Paul? Yeah, I can agree with Vinny Paul. All right, so you heard it here. Tommy Lee sucks, and Vinny Paul's the fucking man. Made Listen to forever more Pantera rest of power. and less uh, Motley Crue, essentially. Perfect. Last week, we um, suggested for you guys to watch The Doors, 1991, directed by Oliver Stone. Um, the ratings on this film, Rotten Tomatoes go to 57%. Uh, the audience score was 79%. And Roger Ebert gave it a 2.5 out of 4. I feel like the audience score was only so high because of the fact that it was The Doors. And a Val Kilmer. And just- yeah. This movie's kind of why I kind of stopped liking The Doors as much as I always did. Really? Yeah. It, it almost did the same for me. Kind of killed Jim Morrison for me. Yeah, it did. It, I, and it's funny. 
so backstory about this, I think I've told both you guys where uh, Val Kilmer got the job for this, what they did. Uh, he actually sent in an audio tape of him uh, singing door songs and sent the tape to Oliver Stone. He said it was a mashup of both, you know, original doors uh, tracks as well as him with, uh, you know, audio recording of himself singing. Hmm. So he told Oliver Stone, you know, pick out which ones you think are me and pick, you know, which ones you think are Jim. So Oliver Stone made his choices like half and half or whatever. And they were all Val Kilmer. That's so he fooled cool. him into it. And like that was like, okay, perfect. And then obviously he got the aesthetic. He got the look. But the problem was I watched this movie before I really got into the doors like I am today. So yeah. at the time I watched it, I was like, wow, like he was a fucking just wild nut job. And like, holy crap, like a rock star. Whoa. And I was like, then I actually read a lot of the books. I li- I read. I actually watched some more documentaries. I got more into their catalog, and uh, especially the book "No One Here Gets Out Alive." Yeah, um, it's not completely historically accurate to a you know a couple of flaws, but it's way more on point to understanding Jim Morrison than this movie ever was. And Oliver Stone really went out of his way to kind of make Jim look like a total, like just really like an asshole. Which you know, granted there were moments, but he wasn't like as fucked up as people really made him seem. And the fact that he was like you know really portrayed as like a narcissist in the entire film, which wasn't the truth. Yeah, he was just like an artsy like hipster. Yeah, he really was. I mean, he really rejected like the whole Andy Warhol scene. He like really got on them. I mean, a lot of people hail him as like the first punk, like next to like Iggy Pop and stuff, because just his like rebellion attitude and his you know very anti-establishment ideas and. um you know, even the whole scene in the movie where they do light my fire and they told him specifically, like, you can't say, girl, we can't get much higher. They had to change that. And then, like, in the movie, they show him, like, directly look into the camera and say it. And everyone, you know, like, they really portrayed him as, like, he did that as a big fuck you. Like, I'm saying this he anyway. He was just nervous, right? It was, yeah, that wasn't the case. He was actually nervous and just he was so used to singing that song live the way it was written that he just forgot. Yeah. And then made a big deal about it afterwards, which caused him not to be able to go on the show anymore. But, you know, again, like the movie just kind of like went over the top to make it more of like a movie as opposed to a biography. Like, you know. All right. So I guess let's go around the table. What uh, what are the scores we're given here out of 10? Out of 10, 6.1. Wow, that's weird. I was going to say 6.5. I thought you were going to say 6.5 when you said 6. Point. But yeah, I'm saying <laughs> 6.5. I'll meet you in the middle. I'll do 6.3. All right, so that makes our total average score 6.3, The reviews here are, for a while, the obviousness and flat-out vulgarity are sort of entertaining, and it might be possible to enjoy the movie as a camp classic if you could ignore the mean-spiritedness that keeps breaking through. That's from uh, Terrence Rafferty at The New Yorker. Uh, Dave Kerr at the Chicago Tribune says hysteria, however, skillfully maintained should never be mistaken for art. A caution that applies equally to stone and his subject. Yep. And, uh, last but not least, we have John Hartzell with the Seattle times saying insidiously funny and remarkably truthful about the psychedelic rock scene in the late 1960. Remarkably truthful. No. Nah. Mm. Seemed uh, pretty on point to me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, so let's get into our suggestions of the week. Suggestion of the week. Our suggestion for this week is to check out Remastered, The Two Killings of Sam Cooke, a Sam Cooke story, directed by uh, Kelly Duane. Um, 
yeah, it's just about, you know, his rise to stardom and uh, his uh, untimely death at age 33. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, we'll talk about that next week. I was going to say something about it. Yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about it. All right, so what do we got for our personal suggestions for this week? I got You God, Golden Arms with Redemption. Nice. Check out Rumble. I'm recommending the 1978 album by Johnny Thunders. The name of the album is So Alone. The hit track off that is You Can't Put Your Arms Around a Memory. Nice. And my suggestion for this week is going to check out my personal favorite track off the new Eminem album, Stepdad. Uh, the album is Music to be Murdered Too. Right? Is that so you I, got the you got I think it's music to be murdered by. Yeah. Music to be music to be murdered by. Um the the You Got album came out in ninety nine for those curious. Excellent. It was the second to last first Wu Tang solo album. The only guy to put out a first solo album after You Got was Master Killer. Okay. Okay. All right, guys, so that wraps it up this week. This is Rage Against the Mainstream signing off. Um, once again, you guys can get us on our social medias uh, at RETM Podcast on Instagram and Twitter, uh, facebook.com slash uh, RETM Podcast. And as always, our email is open at RETMPodcast at gmail.com. And if you would like to be showcased or spotlighted on our show, please do not hesitate to write us. But once again, this is Rage Against the Mainstream signing off. I'm Bill. Connor. Steve. Have a good night, guys. Thanks for listening.